I am Nick Jimenez, and this is the Cigar Snob Podcast. Just the podcast. I know that uh, if you've been following this feed, you've been hearing a lot of uh, uploads of our radio show. We do a a three-times-weekly radio show called The Draw on South Florida's 1210 AM, The Man. However, this episode of the podcast is just podcast. Um, So it's, uh, it's what you're more used to if you've been following the podcast for a long time. However, uh, very special interview. So this is not Cigar Industry. This is an interview that uh, you may have already read in the July-August issue of Cigar Snob Magazine, although for space constraints we had to cut some of that. And uh, this is the full, the, the big-time full-blown version of my interview with very soon-to-be uh, Football Hall of Famer Ed Reed, who you know for, of course, his years with the Miami Hurricanes and the Baltimore Ravens, arguably, although not that arguably, the best safety uh, ever to play the game. So aside from having been uh, an all-time great safety, Ed Reed is an all-time great, nice dude, uh, which I think you'll get a sense for here. And uh, one of the things that I am especially excited about sharing is that, you know, I think what makes this interview with Ed Reed unique I could be wrong, I haven't seen all the interviews he's ever done, but this could be the only interview that starts with Ed Reed singing into the microphone. Ed Reed gave us a little, uh, Ed gave us a little Teddy Pendergrass at the start of the interview, and it was pretty awesome. So without any further ado, enjoy the smooth, the silky smooth voice of Ed Reed, followed by some pretty cool stories and cigar talk and charity talk and life talk. Also with Ed Reed. Thinking back oh, over the some years, yeah, guess I shed some tears. Oh, that's good. That's Told good. myself time and time again, oh. this time I'm gonna win. Oh, this is good. Super. But a night of fight, things ain't right. Look like I'm losing again. We might not get to the interview here. Takes a fool to lose twice, starting all over again. Think I better let it go. <laughs> Looks like another love TKO. I'm going to let you keep going for as long as you want to go here. I got hit with that TKO. Oh, man. I got a great story about that. So we playing in the fourth NFC Championship game back to back to back. Fourth one in a row. We're in New England. We lose the game. This is 2012, the year before the Super Bowl. Yep. This is the one we lost before we went back to New England that next year and won. Yep. Hey, why don't you bring your chair same, over here you want to jump in? Same stadium next year, but the year before that, and I'm in the locker room after the game, and I'm like, this is just ridiculous. Like, it's my 10th year in the league. It's hard to win a championship game. Hard to get to the Super Bowl. New England's like the greatest ever. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and those guys hard to beat. I get in the locker room and everybody want to talk to you, ask you how you're feeling, and can I get you on the interview? And I'm like, thinking back over the years, I'm getting dressed the whole time, just putting on my clothes, singing Teddy Pendergast, like, I think I better let it go. <laughs> Looks like another love, TK, which it was. and. And, and, and it's crazy because while I'm singing that song, I was believing it and thinking like, you know what? 
it's just football. And then it clicked to me. The Super Bowl is in New Orleans next year. In my backyard, we're going to win it. That's what happened to me in my head. So I walked out of the locker room. I'm talking on the phone to my financial advisor, Brad Schwartz. And I called him. I'm like, what's up, bro? And as I called him, he's like pissed. Man, we just lost a game. Such and such guy did this. This guy did this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you on the bus or not with me? I said, we're going to New Orleans, going to win the Super Bowl next year. He was like, yeah, I'm with you, but man, that guy I said, whoa, no buts. We're on the bus now. And I was at that point sitting on the bus waiting for the team to come, you know, before I calm down and get off and smoke a cigar. Cause that's what I used to do after a game with a couple of my coaches, we used to smoke cigars, just win, lose or draw, have a stick, you know, it's just a game. And um, I'm like, dude, you with me? He was like, yeah, but I was like, no buts. We're going and we're winning the championship next year. And sure enough, we went. Yeah, man. True story. True story. Yeah. All right. So I want to start way earlier than that. Tell me about growing up in New Orleans. Man, it was rough. Um, I grew up in um, a small town on the west side of um, New Orleans called Metairie, Shrewsbury, Louisiana. And. my mom and my dad lived in a one-bedroom apartment, raising five baby boys. Um, where did four you, at the time. Where did you sit in the order? Then? I'm number two. Okay. I'm number two, like on Austin Powers. I'm number two. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, the determined one, as some people may say. But, um, you know, I had a great older brother who taught me how to play football um, at a young age. He was a super athlete, obviously he got it from my dad. And um, so as my parents were raising us, you know, we moved to another, a bigger one bedroom apartment. But, um, you know, the neighborhood was, it was limited on, you know, <laughs> what you can do around there. And um, my, my baby brother was born, which made five of us. That's when we got a two bedroom apartment. And um, as a young kid, you know, at this time I'm like 12, 13 years old and my dad, my mom chose to move back to the old neighborhood where my dad grew up at. My dad grew up in a place called St. Rose where he went to the same high school I went to. But before he left that high school, my dad left that high school because of some racial stuff going on, you know, in the South, Louisiana, of course, is, you know, they, they tend to hold on to that, um, you know, which as an athlete, you know, I grew up around some of that stuff that my dad went through. Um, being on all-star teams, I was like the only black on baseball teams, basketball teams at that time. Maybe two, three other guys um, like myself. And um, I watched the progression, though, you know, of my parents. You know, not knowing it as a young kid, you know, but you see it. You know, I saw my dad in the moving and getting us to, you know, now a four-bedroom four apartment you know, back to the neighborhood where my dad grew up at. He left the high school, went to Shrewsbury. That's where he met my mother. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I didn't want to leave that neighborhood, man. I was crying when we left. I was trying to go to high school there, and thank God I didn't go to high school there. Yeah. Because um, I probably wouldn't be sitting here in front of you now. You know, um, I'm from a small place where, you know, sports is needed. You know, it's, it's needed for 
for um, an outlet for kids to, you know, get that energy out, man. You got to have an outlet, you know, but I, I say that for kids anyway, no matter what background you're from, what environment you're from, you know, parents, job, obviously is doing all types of stuff, paying the bills to pay the bills and have a roof over your child's head, put clothes on their back, food on the table. A child's job is to train, basically. You're training in school, you know, as we've graduated from college and know we're probably doing things that we didn't even study for, you're doing it, you know, but you were training, you know, the whole time, even in sports. All the stuff I did in sports, not knowing that it's gonna help me down the road in life. You know, me doing ball throwing track as a little kid, not thinking I'll be throwing a javelin in high school and in yeah. college. So you, you know? were telling that story a little bit. Uh, talk, talk about that, throwing a javelin in high school. So like I was saying, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on a baseball field. My dad and them played intramural baseball. And um, I was at the park all the time. Um, hence why I always say I'm a park baby. Um, actually building a park and we can get to that. But, um, For sure, yeah. you know, my dad, man, you know, when he moved us, you know, that changed that changed everything. You know, um, him and my him and my mom, you know, watching that progression and um, you know, just becoming a man watching them. Um, and I get to my old neighborhood. Man, it was tough. You know, it was a tough situation. You know, um, at this time I'm watching um I'm watching Michael Jordan, who's like my guy. You know, I watched a lot of football, but I watched a lot of sports, baseball. But Michael Jordan was my guy. Every time I saw Michael Jordan, he had a suit on, he was smoking a cigar, he was winning championships, and he was making plays at crucial moments in the game. Yeah. Kind of reminds me. I don't know if you saw when Michael Jordan got that uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the White House yeah. for Obama. Uh huh. And in the in that speech where Obama's introducing Michael Jordan, he gives a little explanation of why each people each person's getting the medal. Yeah. Because Michael Jordan is the Michael Jordan of greatness. Mm-hmm. And that's I imagine that's what you're seeing in him, right? Like everything this dude does. No doubt. Yeah. I follow those people, you know, but he was my guy, man. Like, you know, growing up a young black kid at the time, you know, I didn't, I wasn't living at a time when you had the Martins and the Malcolms, you know, I knew about them, but, you know, kids tend to gravitate to winners, you know, more importantly, but Mike was my guy, man. I wanted to be like him in every way from basketball. You know, I know he played multiple sports. I did that too. Of course, I wanted to be like Bo Jackson and Dion without a question and Ronnie Lott, but basketball is where I got my defense from. You know, basketball is where, you know, you meet Ed Reed, sort of say, and um, he was the playmaker. He was influencing He was influencing the game at crucial moments. And if you go back and look at how I played the game, it was always at them crucial moments when we needed right. to play, you know, I was trying to make sure in the offseason I can be at my best to make those crucial plays, you know, and to come through for my team. And um, it actually was happening at Miami. Yeah. You know, it was happening in Miami. Even even before that, you know, I practiced to be that guy, you know, and that's kind of how I matured into Ed Reed and, you know, 
it just kind of went from there. So talk a bit about the process that brought you to Miami. So I was um, I was a fan of the rivalry school growing up. You know, I was a huge Charlie Ward fan, Peter Bowler, Rebo, Derek Brooks, um, Warwick Dunn, and those guys, man. And but my first college game was Alabama versus Miami in the Sugar Bowl, and Miami cut up. <laughs> and um, I wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school. I was fortunate enough to have somebody like Curtis Johnson. His dad lived in my neighborhood. He was um, um, a councilman at the time. And somebody, I think my uncle maybe mentioned to get in touch with Curtis Johnson, the son, to come and watch me play ball. And he came down and Man, I was everywhere on the football field in high school, man. I mean, I played running back, quarterback, receiver, um, deep safety. I returned kicks. I was a punter. I was a kicker. You know, you had times with fans, people in the um, stands, you're going to kill that boy, <laughs> you know, because I was doing it all. But like I said, as a kid, you know, you're just training. You know, when you're a kid, you don't know tired, you know, so – that was just that was just part of the game, man. Like I love to play, you know, win, lose, or draw. I was a challenger. That was the name of my dad's and them team when I was growing up. They were the challengers, and they practiced their tail off, win, lose, or draw. After the game, they was gonna be playing dominoes and smoking, right? You know, and I'm I was right there. That was that kid just hanging around, learning how to play dominoes from the old folk. You know, that's where my old soul comes from, hanging around my godfather, my dad, my uncles, his boys, you know, and they st I still hang around them, you know. So a lot, a lot of me come from them, Yeah, you know. So it, it, that kind of leads into what I wanted to ask you next. You, you brought up, you know, being a kid, watching these domino games. How much – I think a lot of people from Miami – love New Orleans. I don't know how much of that goes in the other direction. Yeah, so we got, we got somebody over here giving us a little woot-woot. Um, when, when you got to Miami, mm -hmm. how much of the similarity that I see did you feel? Like, how much, how, did, it, did, it, did you end up feeling like, okay, I get this place? Did, was there a cultural connection there that you felt like, I understand some of this? Yeah. What, what, what really there's, there's the cigars and the dominoes and yeah that. what drew me to Miami even more when I got here is the tradition that I knew the university had right us in Louisiana we are traditional people like you know we even kill type of things don't change too much it don't take much for us to have good time to do things and when I got here it was just like wow you know from the university standpoint because that's why I was always around the university. And um, I just was engulfed with orange and green, man. Al Blaze, rest his soul, was my brother. He, man, he was the, like the ultimate king, you know. Benny and Brian Blaze had played here, and the first person I bumped into who came at me with the ultimate respect was Al Blaze. And he played the same position as me, you know, and it wasn't like a com competition thing, you know. It was like... We, we gonna make each other better. Yep. And that's what I loved about 
being at the University of Miami even more so is that all of us was like that. We was about making each other better. Right. You know, yeah, you, you were s- part of a culture there. Yeah, you can see it, man. Like that, we are culture people in Louisiana. Like we're we're so we're so southern, man. But the hospitality is there, you know. And it was so welcoming here when I got here, you know. And um, with Al throwing throwing everything orange and green at me, man, it was just love, you know. Like I, I was I was I was born to be a king, yeah. You know, truly, man. And when I got here. It was home, you know, this is my second home. You know, Baltimore is third, you know, and um, now I live in Atlanta, that's fourth, man, because it's like everywhere I've been, it's really been so welcoming, you know, to where you want to be there, where you want to contribute to the city, you know, and. So before we move on from New Orleans, what would you say is the most New Orleans thing about you? The most New Orleans thing about yeah. me, man. That's like, like that would be what, that. That'll be feel like like when you're not in New Orleans. When do you feel the New Orleans coming out of you? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. Um, probably more or less when I'm uh, when I'm in the lounge, man, because we're so hospitable. You know, we're we're very hospitable people. Like you know, you can you can be as random as it get from any walk of life and can get conversation with somebody in Louisiana. Yeah. And the same thing goes for a lounge. You know, I always say that a cigar would bring a billionaire and a janitor to the same level. Yep. You know, and um, that's New Orleans. You know, no matter who you are, you can go there and have a great time. Right. So, I could be wrong, but I think Eric told me that your first cigar was while you were at the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the where, the when, the what you smoked? I do. Tell me about your first cigar. My first cigar, man, came because of Bubba Franks was our tight end. Me and Bubba Frank used to go play golf and a couple other teammates, but me and Bubba used to go all the time. That's why I developed all my bad habits of golf swing. <laughs> okay. You know, knowing what I know now, I wish I'd have never played then, but we used to go to Granada. Granada is a nine-hole course, pretty wide open, but we hacking the ball around. And Bubba hands me a Monte Cristo, and I started smoking it like, oh, snap. Like, okay. You know, like I've experienced, I've seen it with Michael Jordan, but this is when I really started to enjoy him in college. You know, I had... um, I, you know, you had the low-budget ones when I was in high school, but that wasn't really cigar smoking. You know, you know, you don't you're learning at that point. You know, and back then it was like the the uh, the tipped the wooden tip Swisher mm-hmm. sweets. Right, right. You know that you were trying to just puff on at the time. You know, as a kid, you don't know. You're thinking it's a cigar. And uh, when I got to Miami, Bubba. Bubba was a little older. He was obviously older than me and um, a little bit more mature when he came to, you know, cigars and stuff like that. And um, he handed me a Monte Cristo, man, and that was it. You know, from there I went to the Arturo Fuente, and um, that became that became my golf stick. Okay. You know, I you go to the Wynn Hotel and they have them in there. I grab me three of those and go out on the course. You know, but um, yeah, it started. It started on the golf course, man. Yeah. You know, and it became like that golf going to Granada was the wind down from everything we did in football. You know, from the brutal work, the working out, 
you know, the stressful times, you know, we get to Granada, start smoking cigars and hitting the ball, nothing else mattered. Right. You know, even we shooting, you know, 54 on a nine hole course, like who does that? But, right, right, right. You know, that's what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you want to jump in with a golf question here? You're welcome to. True shit, man. It was real, man. <laughs> like, you shoot 54 to nine hole course, dude. Maybe higher. Maybe higher, you know. I still got balls in the trees at the Granada. <laughs> Crazy. I should I go back and play. Going home. I, I play Granada going home. Yeah. Yeah, I play Granada. It's one of the best courses. By the way, this is Ivan. This is Cigar Ivan. Snow. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Uh, I play Granada going home all Get the time. Out, man. That's one of the best. But it's a short course. It's it's right in Coral Gables. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's Two minutes from the school, dude. And every time we go out there, I always ask everybody what they're smoking. And usually it's, um, I, I get so many different answers. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So it's mm -hmm. bundle cigars, it's yeah. Tour Fuentes, it's Padrones, it's everything. It's a, yeah. it's a great con uh, conglomeration of people that are like smoking like a bunch of different things. Truly, truly. And that's probably how it happened for Bubba because he was in school um, two years before me. Yeah, Bubba was in school two years before me. So I know he was already going over there. You know, and um, it came, it just became a thing with a bunch of guys, you know. And then once I, once I got drafted, I used to go to Granada because I lived here, obviously. I used to go to Granada by myself after working out and all that. And I wouldn't even play, but I just chip. Yeah. And I go to the ninth hole, yeah. and when everybody's done, about to get dark, I'm hitting from 100 yards out yeah. on that ninth hole. You know, so I'll be chipping for about an hour and a half, two hours, and then once everybody's done, I'm hitting from 100 out, you know. That's why I play now trying to get to my short game, you know, just getting off the tee box. <laughs> so we'll come, we'll come back to golf uh, a little bit later. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about, you know, we talked about the culture of the University of Miami. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's sort of connected. But talk about what it was like to be on teams that won. Not, not everybody gets to do that. No matter yeah. how good you are, you might not be on teams yeah. like that. Yeah, true. True. So, I mean, I came from Destrehan where my first year we went to the championship game and then the sophomore and junior year, we terrible. And then we built it back. We won district. Then I come to Miami and – I know what Miami stands for, you know. It's no question. Championships are here. Like Coach Davis came to my house. My mom woke me up, like yelling at me, yelling my name. <laughs> what, hey. what is she yelling at you? She said, "Hey, I know you're not back there sleeping. That man is here. You knew <laughs> he was coming." I'm like, "Oh, she said, Coach." I'm yeah. like, "Oh, snap! Coach is here." So I, you know. It's in the evening. Wipe Coach all the drool yeah, off you get face. there like six thirty or something. Like it's dark outside in the fall, right? So I go in there. Coach Davis crosses his legs and puts that championship ring cross. I'm like, oh, he knows what he's doing, man. <laughs> I was already like, okay, this is where I want to go. I want to go. I want to go here because I already knew like I was going to play the best. I was going to be around the best and. That was never a question to me as uh, far as competition. Like right. that, I wasn't I wasn't turned away by that because that's what they were preaching. You're gonna come to University of Miami 
in that practice, you're going to compete against some of the best. So we ain't talking games. We talking practice. You know, you're going to have an opportunity to play because we only got 16 or 17 scholarships at the time. You know, and I'm like, Coach, I'm, I'm already mind blown. Like, this is the University of Miami. You know, all I got to do is get my grades in order. You know, and once I got that in order, I already knew I was going there, but I had to come visit. Yeah. And um, like few people, I only visit here for one day because I had a basketball game on a Friday, so I came Saturday morning. When I flew into the, to Miami, I'm watching the clear water, sunshine, and I get off the plane and I'm in the car with Curtis Johnson and I'm riding, I'm looking at the palm trees. And as I'm looking at the palm trees, all I can hear him, all I can remember CJ saying, Curtis Johnson saying is that, you know, about 90% of your time here gonna be sunshine. And by that time I was already like, I know I'm coming here. This is only my second flight. And the first one was to Orlando, you know, um, a couple months before that in the quarterback challenge that I won. You know, just randomly, but um, but yeah, man, I knew like like this was the place for me. When I got to the Hex Center, the football offices, they got all the plaques. They got all the championship plaques and bowl plaques around the um, the Hex Center on the wall. Yep. And as I'm walking around it, you know, every every day I'm like going through one, and specifically looking at the scores that the opponents had, meaning the defensive points that we gave up, specifically on the championship years. So the mentality, I'm just trying to get even more engraved in the mentality of this youth. And, you know, this is my first year, so I get to Florida State. Fast forward the first year, get to Florida State. We was terrible by that time. And I'm on the sideline in plain clothes, and we're getting killed, dude. In Dope Campbell, like 40-something to nothing. And we make a drive, and we get down to our 35, or their 35 about the score. And um, they put their ones back in and pushed us out of field goal range. Samari Rose there, Donut, my boy. You know, it's crazy that I wound up playing with him in Baltimore, but I told him about that. Like, I remember that. And I remember being on the sideline, laying down on my, on my, on my stomach, like in push-up position. I'm looking like, I didn't come to the University of Miami for this. You know, you fast forward to my last year where I was like, I'm hurt, dog. Don't ask me if I'm hurt. That's where that came from. Like, I, I remembered that game. And I wanted to dominate him, like Joaquin said. And we were capable of doing it, but we wasn't doing it. You know, though we were winning the game, and most people were like, man, you gave that, that speech, man. Get it. I'm like, you know, a lot of, and then you're like, man, we were winning the game. You know, so all my teammates are like, really? Why are you yelling, dude? Like, we were winning. Mm -hmm. But I wanted, I wanted to beat them how they beat us. By the way, when you stripped that dude. In Boston College. In Boston game. College, we were winning, too. Yeah, we were. <laughs> but they but were, no, no, they but I know. They were about to score. <laughs> Um, yeah, they were about to score, but you yeah, know, and that, the crazy, the crazy part about that play is that I told Mike Rome, like, Mike, get in, get inside, he's running the slant, and Mike was like, just gave me the, like, nah, like, you get over the top of me, I'm gonna jump this slant, he jumped the slant, Matt Walters caught it, it was like, this play is supposed to happen, and, as, and you can see it, 
because they show I, I, they got a view from my perspective. Um, they had a camera behind me. You could see me like I'm just kind of like, oh snap! It just hit me like Matt's trying to score. He's trying to run with the ball. Go get the ball. Go get it. Go get it from Matt, man. And we the thing about that team is that we had so much trust for each other. You know, to where Matt heard my voice and he gave me the ball. I didn't take it. I heard you, Ivan. I heard you say it. You took it. (laughs) (laughs) Just look that way. But you got to think, Matt Walters is like one of the strongest guys on the team. You can't just take that ball out of his hand. Not in those those circumstances, you know. And I went to him after on the sideline, gave him a big hug. Like, man, thanks for trusting me. So I'm a huge Canes fan. And, um. That mentality you guys had back in that team or that game, you were you were trying to pitch the ball back at times, which you never see anybody doing nowadays. Yeah. You know, you you were trying to take that thing to the house. I don't yeah. know how many times you returned a a, ball, a, a pick six in your, yeah. in your career, but it was a, a million times. You probably still have the record for most picks for the Canes. I have no idea. Yeah. But uh, at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. I'm glad you confirmed. Tied, tied, tied. Yeah, I'm yeah. keeping track. Tied with who? Yeah. With who? I want to say it's Benny, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I think no, I it think was, it's Benny. But but it was, a, but it was a, it's a different mentality, man. You were like looking. It, it was a different swag that you guys had, and you yeah. guys, you guys played with it. Yeah. I remember being. I was a, I was a financial advisor at the time up in Charlotte, mm-hmm. and when you guys played Nebraska. Mm-hmm. When you guys played Nebraska and took them. Rose Bowl. Oh, my so God. So I just did a sit-down with the Rose Bowl committee about the Rose Bowl in that game. I've never been prouder of myself just, like, being, like, a Miami fan. Like, because I was a sto- I was a stockbroker, and mm-hmm. I would go up and, like, meet all these guys from, like, around the country. And I had all these Nebraska fans. And when you guys beat down those yeah. guys and that, yeah. that was the – it was, like, the most – it was the best thing in the mind. We was as close to the old school way as possible, right. you know, while at the same time being smart about what we did. Because, you know, you couldn't you couldn't replicate what those guys did. You know what I'm saying? And, and we knew that. But we wanted to bring that back to the university. We wanted to bring it back to the city, all of us. You know, especially my class in 97. You know, I'm talking Reggie Wayne, Santana Moss, Delvin Brown, Najee Davenport, Daryl Jones. You know, and then just the other guys who really was buying into not the system, but the system of us working together, winning together, all of us would be successful. You know, that's that was the difference, you know, I think between those first years and those latter years that I had there. Like we had a team versus individuals trying to leave and go to the league and get paid, you know was the first time where you really felt it was it that that was it the bowl game with uh edrin what were you there the was ucla game yeah the ucla that wasn't the bowl game it, no no it was it the was, last game of the season yeah because right, 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 of the right, hurricane right. that came that's right, they had switched that's right. it and we just got better as that year went on but and, yeah, that was uh, you right yeah and, i was there that was yeah. you and then it, yeah everybody didn't know exactly you remember the back. fumble that the switch the game around at the end. I you caused the fumble. Caused it. You caused yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. caused all of them. <laughs> yeah, my roommate Delvin got the fumble, and obviously Edrin still running, man. man what a Him and Foster had, like, amazing running back games 
that that game right there, man. They was going back to back, but Edrin was. But that was the moment. We was on his back. Yeah, that was it. That, that was, was the it. moment. That was the that moment, was the moment that, when that was we knew. That was the moment when we knew. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. That was when the U was like, we're back. We're back. We're back. Now, we thought my first year, my first game, we were there. We beat Baylor in Baylor. You couldn't tell that team they wasn't winning a national championship. We went five and six. But we still had a championship mentality. You know, next year we got a little better. I think we went eight and three, but we still had a championship mentality. You know, we just had to get the the camaraderie back between the players. And then the wa- Washington. Yeah, man. What happened with that? That that was just a little. I remember that, that was that was jet lag and coaching. To be honest with you, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a brutally honest person. You know, and if you ask Andrew Swayze, he would tell you that I predicted that before the season. That we would I, lose I think one I, I'm game. A, I'm a diehard Kings fan. I think I bet against us for that game too. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's all good, man. But like we we needed we needed we needed twenty more seconds in that game, if I'm not mistaken. You know. But it was just, you know, we just started late and that but that helped us. You know, that helped the guys going into the next year. You know, that helped me to make a decision to come back because my ultimate goal was to graduate and win a national championship. You know, I was a, I would have been probably the first safety pick, you know, that year outside. You know, I know they picked Archer Letter, but I probably been that first guy to been picked. So, so I always talk about, <laughs> I always talk about, Just you honest. know, everybody, everybody Maybe always not. talks about. Nobody Tom. like Miami. I'm laughing how many times he snatched the microphone. Give me this shit. <laughs> So, anyways, everybody's always talking about like. Yeah, Tom, I don't want to talk. Everybody's always that. talking about no, that's Tom what you Brady. Said. I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a freaking homer and a half. I'm, I'm taking over. Let's do it. Yo, everybody's always talking about Tom Brady, mm-hmm. how late he went, and the sixth round, mm-hmm. and uh, Aaron Rodgers, how he lasted to the end of the. Listen. Yeah, because that's the quarterback position. I guess. You know. Listen, you lasting to whenever you were taken in that first round which you were in the first round but whenever that lasted too with the career that you had is yeah. the biggest yeah. insult to me as a, I mean yeah you probably took a person yeah no no I to did me because I mean I was a diehard I cried yeah. with the Penn State yeah the Penn State loss whatever yeah. that was another day. grow up game though no no for real well, yeah. when I was a kid but when when you were taking that late, and I, I, listen when Warren Sapp was taking that late and Ray Lewis was taking like I don't know, late too. But when you went that late, I was like, that's the biggest insult. It was like a yeah. slap in the face to me because you were the best fucking player ever. Thank you. That was a lot went on with that. You know, um, I'm, um, I guess you could say I was, like I said, I was mature. I grew up around my parents. I grew up in Louisiana. I grew up around plantations. You know, on my way to school, I drove past plantations. So I kind of knew how things work. Um, I thought I should have won the Thorpe Award, if you remember that. Roy won the Thorpe Award, which Roy is a great player. Roy Williams, yeah. Um, but being at the University of Miami, from when you first get there, you understand and learn that nobody likes you. You know, um, and I mean that. Like, and I think it's because you have more black athletes there. 
You know, I think it's still because Miami used to always have more Miami guys than any other, you know, any place in um, any university. And I didn't think society liked that. You know, I mean, convicts versus Catholics and stuff like that was always being said. You know, it's funny how that came up a year ago with the Notre Dame game. You know, and I'm like, you don't even know these. I had to do an interview about them. I'm like, you don't even know these kids. These are not the same kids. And you bring that right back up saying convicts versus Catholics. You know, so I knew people didn't like University of Miami, man, because we were good. Right. And the swag was, like, out the roof in the 80s. You know, we came and guys were loud, but guys were not that loud. Guys were not like that, you know, when I was in school. Yeah, they had the 30 for 30 and all that stuff on the table. But that's every, that's that's everywhere, man. You know, that's truly everywhere. You can't tell me it's not, you know, what the athletes, some of these schools are getting. Like, I know the stories. I know the players. You know, stuff you wouldn't even hear about. So, it was just something, you know, we can get Miami. <laughs> you know, so. And guys, guys were out of hand a little bit. But, yeah, I just knew they – didn't like Miami, but they wanted to know how we was doing it, you know, and they had to catch up, you know. I, I always said this, that the University of Miami to college football is like Tiger Woods to golf. When we're doing good, college football is really good. When Tiger Woods is at his best, golf is the best. Everybody's out there, and even the golfers love it, you know, just like when I graduated and was coming back working out, a lot of NFL players was trying to get down here and work out. Yeah. So I don't want to make this the Homer radio hour as much as much fun as that is. I yeah. know I know we got an audience outside no of Miami. No doubt. So let's. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, nah, man, it's but, just fans. But you know? I, I think when when you've had a career like yours, both in college and in the pros. Yeah, it's sort of easy to overlook what I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go ahead and assume mm-hmm. that no matter how good you are in college, there's a there's a hump to get over. There's a transition. Yeah, talk a bit about what it was like coming out of that culture of of all the swag and the yeah. winning and all that, and then coming into the pros where maybe I'm wrong, but I figure for anybody making that transition, there's what I'm curious about is, was there like a humbling moment? Like, oh shit, now I'm in another, I'm in another level. I have an adjustment to make right now. Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Miami, when 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 I was getting recruited to come to the University of Miami, it was a business decision for me also. Knowing but, but that. I mean from college to the Yeah, pros. I know. Okay, okay. So knowing knowing that my foot was in the door to the okay. NFL when I came to the University of Miami, it was already I was already being prepared for it. There was agents around, financial advisors around, you know, our pro day had a lot of coaches there. So you knew. You know, it was being talked about in the locker room, as I said. You know, yeah. we wasn't so much as a team as you had individuals talking about going to the league. So and I stayed five years. I had one class my fifth year. I had already graduated. I graduated in the spring of 2001. So I was already in the league my senior year. A lot of people don't know that. 
I didn't have class. You know, I had one class I had to write a paper for, and I was good. So my time, my life was football. So once I got to my, once I got to Baltimore, for me to transition over was easy, because now you got more time on your hands. Right. So from seven thirty in the morning to five thirty in the evening, I'm at the facility. When I leave the facility, I go home, and I'm still at work for the most part because it's fresh on my mind. So what I used to do is grab me a glass like this, uh-huh. fill it up to the brim. No ice. It was a brown um, beverage at the time. Uh-huh. And I grab a cigar and I start watching tape again. You know, I had a, I had a restaurant, Arfro Bistro, that Paulo was the head. Uh, he was the chef there and he ran. Uh, that was his restaurant. So he was he became my chef. He used to drop food off to me at a certain time. He knew, you know, when I was going to be home and. I used to just be watching tape, man, having a cigar, rewinding tape. So I had the coaches station that we had at the facility, I had it at home. So it was easy for me to be at home breaking stuff down, you know. And then once I, you know, obviously me and Ray became brothers, you know, being from the U and just having like minds, man. You know, he and I watching tape together. And so the transition for me was a lot easier than I can tell most guys, you know. Plus, I was a first-rounder, fortunate enough to be a first-rounder. So, you know, they was already expecting me to do certain things. Like, I was a starter since as soon as I got there, you know, which I wanted. Yep. You know, like, my, my DB coach, Donnie Henderson, was like, if I rode the ball out, at the University of Miami, I feel like he had grabbed it first, you know, in which there was a lot of guys that probably would have went for that ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I definitely wanted a piece of it, you know. And um, when I got to Baltimore, man, I don't, I don't really think I had that moment, you know, um, because I had so many professionals around me, Peter Bowell, Ray Lewis, you know, Trevor Price, Derek Mason, Adelius Thomas, you know, Dennis Thurman was my coach. You know, he played years with the Dallas Cowboys, you know, from USC. You know, Donnie Henderson, Benny Blades, I mean, Benny Thompson. Um, coach Billick was my coach. He had won the Super Bowl, you know. So I had so many people really around me. Rex Ryan, my D coordinator, yeah. you know, who was, you know, like at the time, like welcoming to players like, talking to him about defense and stuff like that you know so my first year was my wake-up call honestly was coming from here from Miami University of Miami having a CTS in Baltimore and it snowed <laughs> and I couldn't get my car up the hills to get to work so I turned around and went back home yeah and I called over there it's like where you at you supposed to be here I'm like I'm at home yeah, I can't drive to work they was like, okay, I, I sit you, tight. I lived in Missouri I, and, and then Wisconsin. I did the same thing. I was like, no, I'm sorry. I know everybody else. I'm not doing that. I will not make it. I don't know what this is. So what, what happened from there? Did you go? Did you have to go? Did you make it to work that day? I, I figured it out. That, not that day. I figured it out the next day. Okay, so <laughs> in, the, in the NFL, you can't yeah. miss days. Yeah, I wasn't in the NFL. So, yeah, so, and that's when I realized stuff about my job. That's when I realized, realized stuff about the NFL, like it was different. Because 
I called over there and I'm like, I'm at home. Yeah. My car won't work, won't make it there. They was like, sit tight, someone is coming to get you. Well, that's the difference. There's, <laughs> there's nobody to come and get you in the job that I was doing. But yeah, no, I, the, that, somebody had a truck. <laughs> it's, it's funny, there's, there's half the country that doesn't realize the terror of being from the southern half oh, of the country man. and being in snow for the first time in a car. That, that white knuckle feeling. That was the worst, man. I've never worked my finger so hard just gripping a steering wheel. Oh, man. You just don't know what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I got a truck after that right. week and um, never missed a day, you know, going forward. But I knew I knew it was serious then. Like, I right. knew I knew it was serious. I knew it was serious at the Rookie Symposium, to be honest with you, because they tell you it's not about the team. You know, it's not about the team that you play for. It's about this shield. You know, and um, that opened my mind when I heard those words. Those are the first words you hear at the Rookie Symposium. You don't hear, hey, how you doing? You hear that it's not about you. It's not about the team. It's about this shield and you protecting it. And um, But there's a lot that goes into that, you know. So it, that was a wake-up moment. And honestly, the combine was another wake-up moment. Before I even got to the league, I knew things were about to be different because it, it brought back – it brought back – um, scars, so to say, you know, my 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 great grandparents, you know, worked in the fields. You know, my grandmother, my dad's mom, you know, tended to a white family's home um, when I was growing up, and um, but she didn't just tend to that family's home. She was yeah. part of their family, right. you know. So while I'm you know, at one point, I'm the only black on the team and dealing with some racial stuff over here. But I got Spanky. Little Spanky was like the shortest guy on my baseball team, white dude. And I stayed by Spanky house and he's the coolest cat, you know, and Jeff was, too. So, I, you know, I had I had those barriers being broken, you know, yeah. when I was a kid. And, you know, so from fast forward and you start to you know, see the world a little bit. Now I'm at the combine and it's like a meat wagon, like yeah. just meat factory, just all of us being paraded around. You got six or seven doctors over you and you the only person on the table and they pulling you from right to left, you yeah. know. That was a different experience for me, you right. know, to how they treat the players, you know, and, and what they do for the players and how much the players do for the league even now. Like it's, it, it was an interesting process that I didn't really um, take to as well. And I, that's probably why, you know, I probably fell low in the draft because I didn't take their Wonderlick test. And I know they know I didn't take it. Right. You know, I didn't take it serious at all because, you know, you're trying, you're asking me personal stuff that has nothing to do with football. You know, um, and I get it. Like, you want to question the person, you want to get to know them, but, you know, a lot of stuff that that Houston, to be exact, was asking me at the time, you know, and I remember who the guy was. He's an analyst now, and I know he don't know nothing because he didn't draft me. He drafted um, Carr, um, Derek Carr, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he drafted him, you know, and nothing to Derek Carr, but, you know, just just to the mentality of you know who's making the decisions and at the time he was he was dead wrong because I remember the interview and it was the worst interview I had yeah you know but I knew the guy didn't know anything about football and now he's an analyst on ESPN you know and yeah Charlie Castle. <laughs> that is him it is Charlie I didn't want to say his name but yeah it's Charlie Charlie you were wrong yeah there you go
You know, he was wrong. You know, because he's asking me stuff about family, and I'm like, look, I'm a family's family. You know, like you're gonna take care of family regardless. Like you, you don't get to choose your family when you're born. You right. know, no matter how they are, they're family. Now you can distance them. You distance family when things are not right and they're not doing. Because I, I, I have to manage my family. Because if I don't manage my family, I'll be broke. That's just a God honest truth. You know, not everybody where I'm from is has financial literacy. You know, I was just one of those people, you know, fortunate enough to be good with numbers, you know, and um, it don't add up if it's not adding up. <laughs> so, I mean, speaking of questions that don't have anything to do with football, I'm going to ask a little bit of a rude question. But, you know, we're, we're in Miami. We talked a little bit about 30 for 30. There was that Billy Corbin document. I think that's the, the topic of money is one that fans are curious about. We don't need to get into specific numbers, but just what was your experience with that part of the transition? Of now there's all this money involved. For me, was, it was, was for, for me, that transition was to have a plan. Like, what is your plan going forward? You know, how are you going to survive off this first check? How are you going to survive off this first contract? You know, and then make a plan, God God willing, I get to a second contract. You know, but you got to play now like you're not getting that. You got to play now like you're not getting the check. Right. You know, you got to prepare yourself like something can happen because it is football. You know, and um, I was all right with it because I had already graduated. Right. I already had my degree. You know, I, I know right now I can go coach, you know, better than a lot of these coaches in the league. And um, Is that so, something you want to do? Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. You know, I want to do it. Wow. You know, they just make it. They make it so tough because it's um, it's almost ran like the country, man. You know, like you know, you take care of your own. You know, right. um, and just because somebody's in the coaching, don't make them a good coach. Sure. You know, I've I've been around bad coaching. You know, um, I've I've watched bad coaches get head coaching jobs you know I still watch it to this day you know so I definitely want to do it you know I definitely think they should be a little bit more um, leaning towards players coaching you know but they push us out man they make it really tough you know for players to to get back in and coach man so just because we are who we are I want to get into cigars a little bit I think anybody, and we talked about this a little bit before we turned the mics on, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of highlight reels out there that are fun for fans to watch. Do you remember, were there moments in your, in your NFL career that stand out as things that you celebrated with a cigar? Yeah, man. After most games, after every right. game almost, um, we had a cigar either at the bus on the way trips, right there by the bus, me and a couple coaches, maybe a few players, Dennis Thurman. I, I know specifically me and DT was doing it. Um, or at the um, Rue Chris, win, lose, or draw. I invite the DBs over to get some dinner, or they might be like, you know, Ladarius Webb or DeWan Landry, Chris McCallister, those guys. We might just say, you know what, let's go grab some food. 
and um, just kind of talk it out before Monday. You know, if we lost a game or won a game, we'd go to the Havana Club, which was up top of the route, Chris, and uh, kind of like an after party, so to say, people used to come to, and it was a cigar lounge. Okay. And uh, we'd be up there smoking cigars, and I'm shooting pool with the owner. You know, Steve Bishotti, he's smoking a cigar, and we're just talking about things, man, talking about the team, you know, coaches, all type of stuff, yeah. life, you know. And uh, Steve might be giving you some business tips, you know, which helped me to, to grow even more as a man and, you know, saving my money and doing the right things with it, you know, because Steve, Steve was one of those owners where he would come and speak to the team. Yep. You know, and obviously he would speak to us easier because he was with us, you know, in the lounge, shooting pool yep. with your family. You know, I got my mom there, my dad there, my uncles, my brother, you know, my boys, you know, people who made the ride. That's got to be fun. Man, it was the best. Knowing that you br- they're around for that. It was the best. It was the best, man. Honestly, you know, I mean, them the ones who hold you together, you know, when you're going through ups and downs in life, you know, the ones that are real close to you who know you family you know who holds you down yeah so were there uh and this is kind of related we might have already touched on it a little bit but can you think of relationships uh that you can point to and say you know what because of cigars that relationship is a little deeper than it would maybe otherwise have been definitely me and bubba frank uh me and dt coach thurman that's my guy. If I saw him right now, he gonna ask me with my cigar. Uh-huh. You know, that's probably the first thing he gonna say after he say, "What's up, boy?" <laughs> he gonna be like, "Where my stick? I know you got one." Yeah. Um, and he's probably not wrong. Nah. nah <laughs> you man. do have one on you. Yeah, I do. I keep one for him. <laughs> um, me and Reggie was way tight before that, but I would th- I know cigars brought us closer because we, we smoked a lot of cigars in college. Reggie and I used to drive home to Louisiana, and we'd have cigars in the car, you know, and that was a 13-hour ride, you right. know. So I know he and I are definitely closer, you know, just just for the to build that friendship even more so over a cigar and some, some beer. Like we used to get a pitcher of beer and shoot pool and have a cigar he and I. Yeah. You know, and now both of us are, you know, should be, both of us will be Hall of Famers. You know, he's an analyst now, taking care of the family. You know, I was an analyst, was a coach, you know, and um, taking care of my family. And, man, you know, we're we're successful, you yeah. know, young black, young black men from Louisiana, you know. And, um, man, shit, probably me and Steve, man, I – I went to, I went to, went, I was somewhere with Steve Bashadi and I didn't know if you could smoke cigars. And he was like, why are you just holding that stick? Uh-huh. I was like, you know, I didn't know. He was like, you with me. Light the cigar. Right, right, right. You know, and I was, lit the cigar, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm with the owner, man, of course. <laughs> I knew it, but I wanted to make sure, you know, I've been with him plenty of times, and no matter where he's been, he'll, he'll light a cigar, yeah. you know? And I got so much respect for Steve, man, and, um, of course, the Modell family that, that, that um, owned the team before him, you know? So there's a few relationships out there, man. You know, uh, my advisor, you know, my two advisors, man, which is actually my second advisor, I fired my first advisor 
And um, he was actually a guy who stole a lot of money from a bunch of guys uh, here. He was from Miami. Okay. And um, I know he's still walking around, which is crazy, but he stole a lot of money from guys. And I remember telling a bunch of teammates, like, look, man, I'm leaving this guy, Jeff, you know, and Ruben. Jeff Ruben was his name. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, got to put it out there because, you know, he's that guy, man. And um, I was like, I'm leaving him, man. And at the time, my advisor, he wasn't, they wasn't my advisors. I met these guys randomly after a Pittsburgh game. We lost, but I had a decent game, and that was their pitch. But I still didn't know when I went over to have a beer with them because that's what they invited me over. And they lived directly across from me in the same building, same apartment. I go over there just to have a beer after a game because I wasn't doing nothing anyway. And three days later, I find out that they financial advisors. I have them look at my finances, and it was like something ain't right immediately. And we were off that week, bye week. It was crazy because I was like, what y'all got going on for the weekend? Let's go down to Miami. I sat there and mediated between them and Jeff, and I fired him on the spot. Yeah. And I told my teammates, dude, y'all need to check over your stuff. Yeah. Nobody really listened. People lost hundreds. Some people lost millions. It's like, man, this is crazy, man. You know, but, you know, you live and you learn, man. Sure. You know, and 15, what, 17 years later, I'm with the same guys. And my advisor at the time was smoking cigarettes. I'm like, dude. That's how you know. You can't. I got to get you off these cigarettes, yeah. dude. <laughs> so I got him off of cigarettes. He started dipping. And he slowed down on the dipping, and then I took him to the Dominican Republic. And that was like the rebirth of him with cigars. Like, that's his go. thing now. Now he's, like, calling me. He's on this auction website getting cigars. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's yeah. into it now, and that's my boy, man, Brad Davis. Yeah. All right, so just a couple more pro career questions before we, we move on to life after – after the NFL, um, was there a in in rewatching? Because it's not like this is the first time that I watched some of these highlight things. Mm-hmm. And I, I forget who it was that's telling you this on the sideline, but it's somebody coming up to you. You're sitting on on a bench, and somebody tells you, "It's a pleasure to play alongside you. You're the best safety of all time." Terrell Suggs. Okay, so Terrell Suggs tells you this. At what point do you does it sink in? It's not just that I'm a pro. It's not just that I'm a, a Super Bowl champion. It's that when I'm done, people are still going to be looking up to me. Yeah. At what point does that really sink in? And what does that mean to you that we were just talking about you're going to be going to South Bend yeah. to talk to some to college kids. Mm-hmm. When does it sink in like, oh, this is where I am in the football culture? And, and what is the weight of that? That's got to be... Man, that's, when you that's heavy, right? Like no matter what field you're in, when you're at that level, there's a responsibility, there's a thing that comes along with it. Yeah, that. no doubt. No doubt. Um to to him to to wait, what is it? To much is given, much is required. Yeah. Is the scripture. Um Man, when did that hit me? To be honest with you, it, it hits home when the older 
players when you get it from them. Right, like you're part of a club now. Yeah. When I'm getting it from cats like Rod Woodson and Ronnie Lott, Deion Sanders, I had the honor of playing with somebody I grew up emulating, wanting to be like, doing things that he done. And now he's in Baltimore. Prime came to Baltimore. I'm playing with Deion Sanders. And he chased me down the field as I returned a 100-yard um, interception return that got called back against the Jets. And he's like, you the man. You a dog. You the dog. He was like, you the man. <laughs> Nothing more. Yeah. Dion said it. Right. You know? Ronnie Lott said it to me. I was like, nah. Right, <laughs> I went right, taking right. it from him, man. I'm like, nah. But then you turned around and told everybody, you could, you know what Ronnie Lott said? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. You know? Because there's some questions out here. You know, who's the guy? You know, um, I don't claim to be the guy because when I came here, that's what we my my class was so much against the individual. We were about pushing each other and making you the best you could possibly be. And that's all I that's all I ever wanted to be was the best I could be. Right. You know, Ray helped me with that, too, because Ray was just like, just believe in yourself, man. Just believe that you can do what you set out to do, what you studied to do, you know. And um, that's, but that's when I started to believe it, man. I, I saw Ronnie Lawton like years before the Super Bowl in Vegas, and then I saw him the year before the Super Bowl in Vegas. And we, we won it after that. Yeah. Because he, he and Eric Wright, Eric Wright pulled me to the side, was like, you want to win a championship? I know you do. And none of my DBs are there, but they they in Vegas, but they not with me at the time. And Ron and Eric Rice like, I tell you this, this is what you do. And I told the DBs what he told me, and we won it, man. There you go. You know, so but to get it from those older guys, that's when it really started to sink in. Right. So speaking of some of that uh, validation, talk about the Hall of Fame and what it means to be on your way there, man. I'm still blown away at the College Football Hall of Fame because... He's still getting over that. Yeah, because I, it just happened. Like, that That was not on my radar at all, you know. Even the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame wasn't on my radar, but every athlete in the NFL goes through college. Not every athlete in college goes to the NFL. Right. So that number is crazy. 5.2 million play college football not even a thousand players are in the That's college wild. football hall of fame yeah you know so that was like mind-blowing to me you know guys who's sitting up there with yellow jackets don't have college football hall of fame yeah you know i got all three coming i got high school yeah. university of miami too hold on <laughs> you know and now the Pro Football Hall of Fame, man. Like, I I have so much respect for pavers, you know. Like, my parents, my elders, I have so much respect for elder, man. Like, what they had to go through with the football players before me endured and not make the same money, not even close, 
to be a paver, man, like to be up there, like I'm walking in doing the interview, Jim Brown is walking out. Like I'm about to walk in that same room Jim Brown was in. Barry Sanders was in that room. Like I wore 20 because of Barry. Hey, yeah. Like that was my guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I, I'm a representation of them. You know, so that made me live a certain way. Like that made me carry myself away. I'm not perfect by no means, but I understood those guys ain't getting trouble. Right. You know, the, 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 you know, they just don't, man. Like, it's like, it's like society today with, 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 with people. Like, we have so much going on with police officers, like, just get home like don't cause trouble for them or put stress on them because their job is already stressful just yes sir no sir no ma'am and get home safe don't put them in a position where they have to pull their gun out or they pulling they got their gun out already and you do something to make them have to use it you know like that's got to be a freeze tag moment <laughs> like the old freeze tag you know yeah. i touch you you can't move like right, right. when the police stop you don't move <laughs> Uh, man, that's that's a big topic that I don't want to make you sit here through all that. I grew up uh, around it. You no, know? no, I know, I know. Uh, but I know what you're saying. So let, let's get through some other things, and then we'll see wh how you're feeling. But I, I want to get into all the life after football stuff. And I want to start, because I want to make sure we don't overlook this, with the Ed Reed Foundation. Yeah. So tell me about the foundation, what you guys were doing. That's the foundation started when I was in high school, when, before high school, but the foundation, we work with underprivileged kids, um, also kids that are doing good with academics. Um, we worked, it started in Baltimore. I, I, I was named it Help One because I was, a, I was one that got help, you know, in the midst of an environment where situations and circumstances won't allow um, better athletes, athletes of my caliber, to get pushed forward. You know, my dad was one of those kids that didn't have this, you know, the same things in his environment to push him. You know, so I was just trying to help one. And me and my advisor, Brad Davis, started the foundation, and we were going to the grocery store, filling up baskets bags ourselves putting in turkeys and stuff for, for Thanksgiving and bringing it over to Booker T. Washington is like you know a real hard school in Baltimore you know and um, I started the foundation just trying to help people just trying to give them hope just show them someone cares you know and um, try to motivate them you know, um, I'm from New Orleans where Baltimore and New Orleans to me seem like they have the same things going on. You know, in Miami actually in the same in the inner cities have the same stuff going on. So I'm from those environments. So it was it was easy for me to do it. I worked with kids when I was sixteen at the community center in my neighborhood. I was a counselor. My mentor, Ben Parquet, now he's eighty years old. You know, he'd been grabbing me and bringing me to junior high schools. When I was at the University of Miami and when I went home, he'd come get, come get me, and we go take rides to junior high schools, talk to kids, talk to individual kids that were on the, on the you know, they're great athletes, but they're doing bad. They, he's like, they're they, they on that path that you used to be on, you know. 
So he was just mentoring me to be a mentor and me not knowing it, but I just became him to some degree, you know, half of him, a piece of him. You know, a piece of Ben Parquet, man, is a lot because that man is an extraordinary person for what he do for kids. At 80 years old, he's still mentoring, you know. And I had I had people like that in my life, you know. When I was here at the University of Miami, we had stuff we had to do in the community. I used to go over to the elderly home and just sit with them by myself. You know, I'm the only kid in there, and they like they haven't seen their kids or anybody in years, and I'm in there just having conversation with old people, man. Just like, cause that's yeah. what I grew up around. They like, how you know you? I just love you. You're so cute. You know, like, <laughs> you know, but it's just like it was just you know I was just being groomed for it, yeah. you know, by so many people, man. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna end on cigars, but before that, I want to talk about golf. Again, Eric tells me, you've spoken a little bit more to Eric, that you have more than casual golf aspirations. Yeah, I do. So tell me a bit about that. Where, where do you want to take this? Because you started golfing. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about it. You, you yeah. sounded like you were getting pretty serious at the University of Miami, and I was going to jump in here. Yeah, yeah, I was serious, man. I mean, Mike. I would, you know, I have, I have dreams, you know, my, my, my dream, my ambition is to play on senior tour. You know, at 50, 45, 50. How old are you now? I'm 40. Oh, my God. I feel old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm 40, man. 41 in September on the 9-11. You got to give me strokes. I'm older than you. Man, nobody gets strokes with me. <laughs> We're just going to play golf. We're not betting you don't get strokes. <laughs> What do you usually play for? I don't play for anything, really. Nothing? Unless Never? I'm with people who bet. Like, nobody really. Like, Mike, people, it's crazy because people Mike, don't ask me. I know Mike me. plays for some. He do. Now, it's crazy, right? So, I met Michael Jordan, and it's at a golf course here in Florida. And I'm walking up, and he's on the cart coming towards me. He's like, what's up, young fella? I'm like, what's up, Mike? And um, he was like, what's your handicap? And I'm like, golf. it was high. It was like golf. 15 high. And he was like, um. You can play behind us. Say <laughs> like, no more, cause they betting, you know. So it was cool, though, man. I was born by a river in a little tent, and oh, just like that river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know. Change gonna come. Sing it, brother. <laughs> oh, yes, it will. <laughs> It's been too hard living, and I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know change gonna come. This is the kind of shit you don't get on NFL films. Nah, <laughs> nah, not at all. <laughs> There's no 30 for 30 for this. Mm. That's why I never did one or football yeah. life. Right, right, right. You know, um, I didn't think they can tell the story the way I, I would tell it. Yeah. You know, that's why I never agreed to do any of them, right. man. Yeah. All right, so to make sure that we don't, you know, run over time and don't get into this stuff, we have to get into cigars. Yeah. So yeah. 
We talked about we talked about your first cigar. Yeah. We talked about uh, some things that you celebrated with cigars. Yeah. When would you say that you started to think, okay, I'm maybe gonna be more than just a smoker? Yeah. Um, after football, really, um, cigars was all, was was big when I started. As I got older in the league, no doubt about it, and I I knew I'd be smoking cigars after I was done playing. Um, I think I was sitting at my house in in Atlanta in the backyard and just looking at the trees, man. I'm back there smoking cigars and like, you've been doing this for a minute and you have a bunch of athletes and entertainers that you've seen cigars and and that was when it hit me like, I know you're not going to do it like a sports guy or entertainer because I'm not into cigars like that. How, how do you mean? Like, I don't want you to be like, the cigar industry is different than football. I don't want you to see football. Like, like I was, I feel like anything I'd done on the football field, anything I was going to do after football would come because of who I was from the football field. And that's why the portrait I've done with Terrence Osborne about me and cigars mm -hmm. is the way it is. And um, as we're talking, I'll get it out. Um, you know, I was just like really intrigued by how much happens before you get a cigar. Um, you mean you like know, how many peaches? Yeah, it. the details that go into it. You yeah. know, it started to remind me of football things, of studying. You know, it started to remind me of the training. You know, it started to remind me of the love, the passion that goes into what you do. Yeah, where everybody, I mean, to make it a cheesy metaphor. Yeah. Everybody sort of sees that pick six and enjoys it. And then there's all this stuff behind the scenes that nobody sees that, that built up to that one moment. They don't see the work, man. They don't see the true work that goes into it. And also just knowing the history of it, you know, how cigars came about to the world, um, how tobacco, what tobacco was, you know, before you had Rite Aid and CVS and over-the-counter medicines, you know, you had tobacco. You right. know, you had, you know, the other smokes. And, um, and I ain't talking about cigarettes, you know, I'm talking marijuana that help people medicate, you yep. know, or de-stress through hard times. Like that was some hard living for us to be here in 2019, sitting together as um, like-minded people from different backgrounds and different creeds. Um, right. So I wanted to do something different when I got into the cigar industry. I wanted people to know me I wanted you to know me outside of football, basically. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want my cigar to say football. I didn't want to just get with a company and not be the person who researched it, who, who knew how to give you some etiquette about what I was doing because there's etiquette, there's etiquette to everything. There's etiquette, etiquette to football, there's etiquette to um, if you go from a different city to another city on how you do things, you know, it's an old saying, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. You know, so I didn't want people to, I, I want you to know me, 
outside of football and I want you to know football, but I want you to know the story of how it took me to get to football. And that mat that maturation came through Louisiana to Miami, to Baltimore, you know, to becoming the person that I am, you know, and um, as, as I used to de-stress after work, man, smoking cigars, I was like, I knew I was gonna be doing it for life, the rest of right. my life. Like I knew unless something just happened, I would be having a cigar after dinner. Right. You know, sitting in my backyard, reminiscing about the Super Bowl, you know, because that's just what I did the year before. Right, right. You know, right. and but I knew whatever I was gonna do after football was gonna come from football. So it's it's hard not to put it in there, but once you start to research, you know, the history of cigars then you start to see these old painting looking labels and stuff like that, which brought me to this, which I know the people on the podcast can't see, but you okay, can see yeah. that. You know, you got the fields on which I got this from Placencia, picture Placencia, um, one of the reps, Javier Carranza, sent me. Yeah. And obviously you see the hawk. People call me the ball hawk. I'm just the hawk. I don't even go for GOAT, don't call me the GOAT. Yeah. Because there's no GOAT in football. Football is the ultimate team sport. It can't be it can't be one guy. Shit, I gotta change my Instagram. It can't be one guy. <laughs> yeah, it can't be one guy. You know, and um as you look at the picture, obviously you can you know it's me now, but you don't know it's me. You can't you can you cannot see my face on right. the on the picture. And then you see the homes. These homes right here or from Louisiana, right. yeah. Baltimore, and Miami. It just so happened we put it in the order, Terrence put it in the order where it's going down an address. Okay. You know, my Louisiana is 504, then you got Baltimore 410, then you got 305 in Miami. Okay. And um, they got my number hidden here at the top. Just real detailed stuff yeah, as a yeah. cigar is, you That's know. Cool. It's just, and that's what we wanted people, you know, to know about me. Yeah. But also know about cigar industry. Like, it's from seed, from the planning to us sitting here having a cigar as we do this podcast, Cigar Snot. You know, it's so many people yeah. that put some love into it. As there was a lot of people that put love into me, to, for me to mature and be the player I was so talk about what who brought you into uh, you know I, I think it's kind of a, a special thing when uh, yeah I'm, I'm in for it we, we can we can say on the podcast that we're doing another round yeah 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 I'll just you know I wanted to make sure we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get it <laughs> they're getting us another round <laughs> uh, so um, I was with uh, the, the magazine's art director um, mm -hmm. is uh, he was born in Cuba. He came from Cuba, uh, I want to say six years ago, six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. and just recently became a citizen and got a passport. So that was the first. So I, I was with him the first time that he went to the Dominican Republic. When he was in Cuba, he'd never really been all that you know mm -hmm. interested in cigars and, and you know, mm -hmm. limited opportunity. So I was with him the first time that he got to see tobacco fields and the cigar making process and the fermentation uh-huh here this is the what he was talking about so 
who facilitated that for you and what was it like for you seeing that whole process up close for the first time because the way that our art director put it was you know I've been working at this magazine for six years or so this is the first time I'm seeing it and now is when I'm realizing it's impossible to see this process up close and not fall in love with it yeah so my trip was to Dominican Republic to La Aura and Yermo Don Yermo who's like a uncle to me, him and the family over there is great people, man. I mean, honestly, the way they run things is awesome. And that was the first factory I visited. And thank you, George. And um, I was blown away, man. Yeah. I mean, I was totally blown away on the operations, you know. You have someone, you have someone who's just putting on strictly labels. You have someone just separating the right leaf from the left leaf. Yeah. You you know you have someone who's sorting the tobacco on where they go from size and color. You know, and you have someone doing the tour, Mr. Eugenio, who my guy. You know, who's just walking us around, give telling everything. You know, telling you everything from how you smoke a cigar to how you hold the cigar, you know, Manuel to telling me how to clean the palate, you know, don't dip your cigar in your in your drink, you know, thinking you're doing something different when you're actually messing up the tobacco. You yes. know, so I'm I just became the student that I was for football, I became a student of this yep. of cigars and you know Cheers, Cheers. I just want to make sure that, you know, and, 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 and really other people have said about me, when I put my mind on it to do it, I'm going to go at it that way. I'm going that golf that way. I just haven't found that coach. I actually found him. He's in L.A., I follow him on Instagram. It's James Jordan. I believe he's coaching. Um, he's coaching. Um, what's my guy? My um, Reggie Bush, and Reggie always texts me. Just like you ready, <laughs> you know. So I got. I got to find me a good coach. You know, right now I'm raising my son, so that's my number one priority. It's hard to get away, and I know a lot of golfers. You know, who I've met over years, you know, just sitting talking with him. Uh, Matt Kuchar being one guy who I, who sticks out because I spent some time with him in Hawaii at the um, Sony Open, and uh, which is a great event, great people. But, you know, just watching him, man, interact with his family the whole time, like it just seemed like golf was so far away from his mind, you know, and I played my sport for the most part. Yeah. I just love golf, man. Golf is Golf is by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life right now you know without the proper coaching the proper technique man it's tough but and so here Guillermo was and and all these guys at La Dora were sort of played that role for you a little mm-hmm. bit yeah no doubt man Guillermo I mean I call him right now and can get a bundle of the blend that I put together yeah. like I went over there I smelled the tobacco for myself I chose the blend that I wanted to go in there with the also expertise of the master blender, master blender Manuel, you know, asking him what he think the the wrapper should be and stuff like that. You know, this is going to affect the taste. 
you know, you got a lot of viso, you know, you got a lot of seco, it's going to be light, you know, he's yeah. telling me stuff like that, you know, so I'm just like, I'm going off smell, so whatever it is, just blend it and let me know what it yeah. comes to. You so know? there's going to be, tell me where we are with what the cigar from Ed Reed is, what is the situation there? What are we, what the are we situation at? is right? like the tobacco industry, you know, it takes time, I think to put out a great product. You know, it took time for me to get to the Super Bowl. You know, it's not an overnight process. Yep. It's not an overnight process from just to smoke to get a cigar. You know, it's it shouldn't be a quick process for you to smoke a cigar. You should spend some time with it when you first get it. You know, a little cigar foreplay, you know, and um, enjoy it. just got super sexy. Yeah, man, no <laughs> doubt. I mean... You see, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean that's the true true part about it. You know, there's got to be some foreplay before you really, you know, um, do things right. You know, I sound like Barry White right now, and telling me this, oh. telling me that. <laughs> Say once I smoke you, <laughs> but um, but really, man, I mean, I you know, it's taking time. You know, I was, I was in conversation with Yermo and all of them and, 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 and had the blend that I wanted, but because of FDA stuff and, um, you know, relationships that they already had, they already had a vision. Right. You know, so I'm just, I'm looking for the right partner. Okay. You know. So still working on it. Still yeah, no doubt. Toward that. No doubt Take about it. Time. Because I want to do it right. Right, you know, I want I want to let I want to know I want to I want the cigar aficionados to know that I'm not just an athlete doing a cigar, just putting my name on something that somebody blended for me. Right. You know, I want them to know that I have the respect for what they do. Right. You know, as I, you know, had the respect for media when I played, I knew they had a job to do. You know, but I also knew that they had to respect where I was coming from, too. You know, so but I just want people to know, like, I have the utmost respect for the rollers. Like I, I've, I've my first cigars, I rolled them myself. Yeah. You know, excuse me. So just learning that, like being there with the workers, like I'm a people's guy. Right, right, right. You know. I'm a I'm a people's person. I love being amongst the people. I like just going to cigar bars. Even if I never made a cigar from this day forward, and I said it before, you're still going to see me in the cigar lounge having conversation. You'll still catch me, you know, um, talking to guys like yourself or on the golf course with Eric, you yeah. know, just smoking cigars and enjoying each other, man, Enjoy, enjoying just, the, the, just, just life, you know. And that's what cigars allow you to do. Yep. You know, really sit back and enjoy yourself because you don't really want to be on the move smoking a cigar. You want to sit down and enjoy it. Right. You know, though I get my little short smokes. There you go. You know, my little 30-minute, 45-minute smokes. I call them car smokes. Okay. You know, when I'm riding and I'm going to get my son and I can get me a cigar and, you know, I don't need the, 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 the Robusto at that right, time right. or the Torpedo, you know. I just pull out a little short smoke, you know, a little Liga Provada, a Padron, or a Nicaraguan, um, the, the Davidoff. Mm -hmm. you Davidoff, know. Nicaragua. Yeah. And, and, you know, I 
riding the car or I play a short round of golf, you know. Yeah. And I like those short smokes too, you know. All right. So so we're all kind of just waiting for you to take your time figuring out what the ER Fine Cigars cigar actually mm-hmm. is going to end up being. It's coming. We talked a little bit before, again, before we turned the mics on about a pretty cool lounge bar oh, yeah. range concept. Can we yes. talk about that? Yes, we can. Let's let's do it, man, because... Tell me, because this that's... I'm, I'm a... It's state of the we're, art. We're talking about <laughs> all the things that I like to do. When I, when I was at the last IPCPR trade show, I'm, I'm still trying to work out going and... I wanted and, to get a shooting some there. stuff, shooting some stuff with Carl Malone, but maybe I need yeah. to shoot some stuff with you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. I, I wanted to get a boot at the IPCPR, but um, yeah, we're coming out with a Gunchy Club. It's a, um, a name very professional and high tech um, golf range. I mean, gun range with um, a cigar lounge that my partners um, gave me a lot of leeway to do what I want to do as far as the cigars in there and. Um, it's that that part is still coming together. Um, really, we building the place out. Hopefully, it's done by the fall. That's our. Um, and that's where. And it's in Owens Mills in Baltimore. Okay. And um, they gonna have a, a simulator in there. So with all these mass shootings going on, we got a lot we working on with that to try to prevent this as much as possible. Um, with pinpoint stuff, we trying to bring people. We can bring people in there. We come in, tape your facility, tape your office space, tape your school, and show you how to handle a mass shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we also actually have the technology to where everybody can know right now where that shooter is, what he's doing, where he's at, notify the parents and everything. And um, But when you come to the simulator, you have it 340 vision, um, you know, surrounded around you. And you're walking through there, you know, and for police officers, they can come in. They have only for police officers. They have a belt that a police officer can be in a situation and they trying to de-escalate something. Let's just call it a bank robber. And they telling the bank robber to put the gun down, put the gun down. Let's say the bank robber wind up shooting them. If they got that belt on, it would shock them. And let them know that they've been shot. Okay. You know. Yeah, so this is serious. Uh... Yeah, it's serious stuff, man. Plus, we got 100-yard ranges for rifle shooters. You know, you got you got FBI guys and um, police officers and military guys who work here. You yeah. know, we got, the, we, got the, we got the number one guy in Baltimore. If something happened with a shooter yeah. in Baltimore, they calling him. And so all this... At the Guntry Club. Yeah, plus that they got plus cigars and cigar lounge. They're going to have small finger food right now. We're looking to advance it to a restaurant, you know, something small. You know, um, my flavor is special special night, you know, so we can do some steak night, some seafood night. You know, you're in Baltimore, so you got to do seafood, stuff like that, you know. And um, we'll we do different things where you can, um, you know, you can have parties there and stuff like that, make it fun. You know, you can come in there and shoot zombies like, you know, um, The Walking Dead and stuff like that, too. So it'd be like it almost like a gaming center for grownups, you know, when it comes to what we can do. You're blowing my mind right now. Yeah, man, for real. It's going to be nice, man. When we have the when we have the grand opening, man, I'm going to invite you guys. No, no, down. I'm, I'm telling Eric I'm doing something about this. 
this yeah, cool we gotta thing. do the cigar. We gotta do. We gotta do some of the sure. cigar lounge. But For I sure. know you're in the weapons, you know. And I'm I'm learning a lot more about them too. Yeah, you know. So it's it'll be nice, man. Have you guys up there? So um, is there? We've covered a lot of ground, and I'm starting to feel guilty for keeping you this long. Mm. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to get into? Not me, man. You know, this has been fun. You know, my first true. Um, I guess you can call it introduction into the cigar world with the with the uh, prestigious magazine like you guys. You know, me and Eric actually played golf first at the Biltmore yeah. and just hung out. You know, and um, that's 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 what I am when it comes to cigars. That's what I am when it comes to life. Like it ain't. It's not about anything. It's not about money. It's not about helping me do a cigar. Uh, it was just about being people and just hanging out and just get to know each other. And that's what this is. You know, exactly. All right. I, I mean, that's as good a place to end it as any. So right on. Man, thank you so much for doing this. You went way out of your way to make this happen face to face, which is huge. Right. So we appreciate it. Eric wanted to be here, right. but we're a bunch of Cubans that do everything late. It's all good. So late, man. <laughs> He's hard at work. You know, we're uh, doing deadlines and I'm mm -hmm. sure. He's going to hear this and wish that he was here doing these however many rounds of drinks and cigars that we did. Right on. Nah, it was good, Nick, man. I enjoyed it, man. So, yeah. I'm glad we made it work. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Right on, bro. All right.